Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hey, welcome to our podcast. And this is the first one where we have the unique opportunity to speak with a digital transformation leader, CIO, chief digital type person who covers not only provider side, but also academic. And to my knowledge, there's like two or three organizations like that in the United States. Johns Hopkins being one where my good friend Stephanie uh, pioneered that role for like for 20 some years. And, 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 my, Tom, and my friend Tom um, at UC Irvine, who's, who's done the same thing there. So really excited about talking about the melding of the two and, and why that's so critical. And the way that I met Tom was really through an advisory board. And, you know, when I'm on these advisory boards or I meet someone like at a professional organization, I just am really drawn to smart people. So he just started talking at this advisory committee and I was like, man, who is this? You know, and I started doing research in real time and I was like connecting, I was texting some friends like, hey, do you know this Tom guy? And, um, and then I just, every time he spoke, I was just learning and I was like, I want to surround myself with people who can uh, teach me things. And Tom is definitely one of those. And so Dan, our producer, I have a quick question for you because you are a millennial and I'm curious about you. When you meet people, do you sort of take the same approach? Do you, you know, when you hear someone who's, who's, um, you, you can learn from, how do you react? What do you do? Well, I always try my best to listen. Um, and if, the, if it's someone I can learn from, you know, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah, I do. I do the, I think probably I bother a lot of these people because I'll just sit there and ask them questions. Like if I'm at the dinner table with them or something, I'll just sit next to them and just pepper them with questions the entire night. I probably get kind of obnoxious after a while, but I'm like always trying to learn. So that's what we get to do now with, uh, with Tom. So you'll see why I was so impressed uh, with Tom. So I mentioned already we serve on an advisory board together. Uh, he, I, I've done all sorts of, re, I've, I've, uh, well, how would my kids say it when you like uh, creep on someone? So I've been creeping all over uh, Tom. And the great thing about places like UC Irvine, a lot of the information is public. So if you want to know about their IT, what are they doing, the presentations that they're doing, a lot of that stuff is all online, which is great. It's a great way to network and to learn uh, from others. But Tom, the first thing people want to know is your music. What kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh my God, I have to admit that publicly. Uh, so uh, my kids laugh at me because my favorite music is, is to listen day in, day out is actually EDM, believe it or not, which is not something of my generation. Um, I find myself though, uh, I was actually, my one of my children is back from uh, college and she played Billy Joel while we were having dinner last night. And I'm like, I actually really love Billy Joel, but I don't know that I ever introduced it to her. So you know, I, I don't have it's something I listen to all the time, but I would have to say that EDM is what I listen to the most. And my favorite band is Counting Crows, which is kind of a 90s band Yeah, uh, for, for those out there who are kind of the alternative uh, era. Now, I, I sort of cut some of my early teeth on a band called Kraftwerk, uh, like from the 70s. They, they were maybe a precursor to EDM. And the only validation I ever got out of them, because, you know, no one they're from Germany and they weren't all that popular. 
but I, I was watch I was at a U2 concert one time, the experience tour. So maybe like two or three years ago. And Bono had, had this, he had, he was trying to replicate like his room when he was in high school, you know, what sort of posters he had up. And one of them was craft work. So I felt validated. Like, wow. <laughs> if it's good enough for Bono, yeah. I know I'm in the right club. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that. And I think you're also the first to say EDM. So that's great too. So our guests have a wide variety of, uh, of musical taste, which is always just kind of interesting. What about your life message? So is there something that you carry with you that, you know, you would want, whether it's your kids or people that serve with you or those that you serve want to know about you? Yeah, I, I think for me, it's, you know, and you, you know, we've talked a little bit about my background and, you know, it's, it's very diverse, a lot of different types of experiences, different companies, different regions, different functions. It's like, you know, breadth of experiences just comes back in so many different ways, whether it's giving you perspectives to draw upon for the challenge that's on your plate in front of you today, whether, as you were mentioning earlier, the interesting people that you get to meet along the way. Uh, I had this, you know, incredible, you talk about just like every day listening and, and realizing what amazing people you're working around. We have some high school students who are doing an internship program uh, here at the university. And the person who ran the program put them in front of both the chancellor's cabinet in the morning and then in the afternoon, they got a chance to talk to the health system CEO's cabinet. And the questions that they, they um, posed to us to kind of hear answers was, you know, what leadership qualities do you most value? And I got to listen to roughly 15 of my very, very accomplished colleagues talk about the leadership qualities they find the most critical for success. And I learned so much, not just about how they, you know, I learned about them and also some really, really great things that would have been different from the answers I would have given. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. So you have, and I'm going to let you sort of tell your own story here, but you don't come through the ranks through a traditional way. Like you weren't like working in a health system as a, as a college graduate, and then you were a programmer and you kind of worked your way up manager, director, but you had this whole other amazing career going on. Then you came into, you know, sort of like the CIO, the chancellor role across academia and provider side. Tell us about your journeys. How, how did that all come together? And was it intentional or did things just happen? Yeah, no, I, so I like to say that, you know, we used to, you know, when, when you and I were coming into our careers, right, they used to talk about climbing the corporate ladder. And of course, you know, the ladder analogy is all about a step and a step, you know, a logical next step that you position yourself for. And I like to explain to people that I feel like my career has been more of a rock climb, swinging from ledge to ledge, where every, you know, it's been very different vantage points. Some have been big steps up. Some have been literally laterals, you know, and, but everyone giving me a broader perspective in which to draw from. So I always joke with people, I was trained as an engineer, but I was a horrible engineer, which my wife can attest to. So what do you do, right? You, we stop trying to be technical and you manage people who are technical. And so I got into the management of people and tasks really, really early because of my own ineptitude. And then I found my way in, you know, into the technology kind of realm. I went through the consulting route, which a lot of people you know, around that time did, worked on what was business process reengineering and the implementations of, of um, uh, ERPs. Uh, so I really didn't start in healthcare. Uh, and then, um, you know, when the Internet happened, I was inside that bubble as a consultant, really 
you know, even back then it was, I, you know, we don't want our company to get Amazon. Even though Amazon was only in the book business, everybody recognized that they had adopted this new model. And so I was one of those, you know, relatively young hotshots coming in and talking to people who are now, you know, who were my age at the time. Uh, and basically saying, here's what you have to think about with this new technology realm, right? This, this new medium that's coming that is completely different than anything you've ever seen before. And what happened was, was one of those clients gave me a chance early and, you know, in my career to, to jump into the CIO role and kind of take over a failed ERP implementation because I had done that and to really work on their, you know, what we would call they a digital strategy. And it wasn't something I had planned for, but it, it, it launched me into, into out of consulting into the, into the corporate world um, and um, also gave me, you know, trial by fire, managing a larger organization of people. Uh, because you might land and manage a large project in consulting, but you don't really manage people in a people management capacity. And that actually was a medical device company. Uh, for those out there in the healthcare industry, probably remember Picker. Uh, one of the early x-ray um, uh, companies, and they ultimately were bought by Philips. And so I became part of the Philips, uh, Royal Philips family and their healthcare division. And uh, ran, once we were acquired by Philips, because of my consulting background, I actually ran what's called post-merger integration, which is they had done several acquisitions, and now how do you put it together and save a couple hundred million dollars to the bottom line? Um, and then and ran it like an internal consulting unit. And then one day I was approached by the COO and CFO and they said, you know, we just bought this so healthcare software company out in the Bay Area. And we realized we don't have any general management people who understand software. We, we have a lot of people who understand devices, but not software. You seem to, un literally this was a line, Ed, you seem to understand this stuff. How would you feel about going out and becoming its general manager because the founder is going to is going to uh, you know leave after you know after the close? And so then I became you know and most people say it's like wow you were kind of a CIO and a business transformation process person and now you're a GM of software and I'm like yeah the reality is it's all about really understanding the problem, understanding the value proposition understanding how to get people to work together and drawing on strengths from the organization to solve problems and to move the ball forward. So, so, and so then I was a general manager and actually that's when I first came to know who you were, because you know, you were a major CIO in healthcare and I was selling healthcare software. Um, but I didn't get a chance to actually kind of meet you or really see you in person until I joined the university, which happened in 2013, because that's when they finally let me into my first Chime meeting. You know, as a vendor, they kept they kept it out. But I knew who this Ed Marks guy was. But then I got to actually come in and I saw you on Chime stage. I believe it was 2013. You made a keynote speech. And that was the first time I, I actually got to see you in person. And, of course, then get a chance to interact with you now through advisory councils, et cetera. So for me, you know, it's been a journey of uh, a lot of using the same, I'll call it, combination of analytical skills and soft skills applied in different arenas, and they just put a different title on it. Sometimes it was an internal title, sometimes it was an external title. Uh, today, I get both internal and external. I drive internal digital transformation with our CIOs and other business partners. I also build strategies that develop new relationships and revenue streams for the university and the health system. So I, got, I feel like I got a chance to really kind of leverage my entire toolkit in this role. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating uh, career path. And I, 
I think it's it's really valuable when you talked about sometimes you take lateral moves, right? Uh, they're not always uh, going up uh, because you learn so much and it makes you gives it that diversity. So talk to us about UC Irvine and your role there, because again, it's very unique. And then as you describe your role, can you talk about the benefits? You know, because I was in a situation when I was in Cleveland the first time where I was the CIO of University Hospitals. Then we had a medical school called Case Western Medical School, and there was a different CIO who you might know, Lev Gonick. Um, and so we worked together pretty closely because, you know, our, our uh, physicians were part of the medical school, but part of us. Uh, but it, there was a lot of inefficiencies as well. Uh, but you obviously at UC Irvine do things much differently. So yeah, share with us. Yeah, I think uh, so. It was, it was kind of as in a lot of situations, it, it, it was kind of the, the right time and place. Um, you know, we had some changes going on in the CIO position on the campus side. You know, we had a, you know, a retiring CIO who had been there a very long time and they really wanted to reinvent the role to be more strategic. And then we also ended up about six months into really understanding what kind of leader we wanted there on the campus that the health system CIO position kind of came vacant. And this is where, you know, kind of, you know, the, the business leadership said, well, can we have one person do both? And I, I you know, I, I've met Stephanie once or twice and, and I, I kind of used her as an example of saying, you know, if you went and talked to the only person I know who does a role like this, she would tell you, please don't ever, ever, ever do this. It is, a, a, there's... You know, it is, a, it is a nightmare. And it's not a nightmare because it's not doable. It's a nightmare is because IT is so ingrained into the way that operation runs. There's just a lot of operational responsibilities. And so what I came back and I told both the health leadership and the campus leaders, I said, look, the only way you could make this work is to keep your CIOs over your major, I'm, I'm going to use the term we don't normally use, over your major lines of business. You need a, you know, you need a campus you know, te research, teaching and learning CIO, you need a healthcare CIO, but then you could create this role on top of it that really uses a majority of their time to think strategically about the use of technology and data and how it transforms what we do, right? We just call that in our world, digital transformation. But I get to wake up and really have the responsibility of making sure we ask that question, making sure if, you know, are we going fast enough in the things that we're doing to respond to the market forces that are creating the change? You know, I, I love the phrase, you know, change is constant. Progress is not right. Progress is a set of choices that we make. And so while the world is changing and whether it's the way that you know, education will happen in the future, the way that healthcare will be delivered in the future, we all know that that's changing. How we as an organization adapt to those changes, I like to call progress. And so, right, my job is, you know, maybe I should be called the chief progress officer because it's my job to make sure that we're moving forward and doing it in a way that we do it the right way. We do it in a way that, that impacts our competitiveness in the market um, and, you know, positions us as, you know, the place of choice for healthcare, the place of choice for education, the most, you know, the most novel and kind of forward looking research organization. Yeah, that's. That's pretty fascinating and, and what you've done. And so you actually pioneered the position. See, I didn't even realize that. So that really didn't exist and you made it happen and you didn't have a lot of models, as you mentioned, uh, to really review. And the one model was Stephanie. She's like, well, yeah, I'm not sure that you, you'll really want, want to do this because it's, it's very complex. But as you explained, there's a lot of good synergies having the two together. What, 
what would your advice be? And I know I, I, I already touched on perhaps one of the things that you mentioned when I, when you talked about going side to side, you know, lateral moves, younger people in their career, what is some career advice that you would share, you know, based on all of the experiences that you've had now is so, so like Tom, I, I, and I know you've got plenty to answer about, but I'm also curious about the time spent outside of healthcare uh, and working in a P and L mm -hmm. business and, you know, everything just kind of put together. What kind of, yeah, you know, it's um, so you, you talk, you mentioned earlier, Dan, as a millennial, I have three millennial children. And so this com and they're, you know, in the age where we talk a lot about this and, you know, some of my advice to them, and it would really be to, you know, to really anyone, especially in their twenties. And there's some great research about the importance of your twenties and what happens in your twenties. Um, say yes. I really tell people that, you know, someone gave me the advice and I can't remember who it was, but it was like, you know what, say yes to the opportunity and then worry about all the details after that. And then I really did, you know, look at opportunities that were presented to me. And sometimes they started as casual conversations and they're like, yeah, would you be interested in X? And I would say yes. And then we're and then try to figure out the rest. Sometimes it's like, how am I going to get out of my lease? Because they're sending me away for the next year. But what it did was, is, is it kind of, you know, anytime, the more you thought about it, the more you could come up with reasons why maybe I didn't want to do it. Maybe the timing's not right. And, you know, and I think what served me really well is saying yes to the opportunity. So that, that's one. The, the second is um, don't be afraid of things that you don't know how to do because, you know, in, in a world of, of constant whitewater, you're going to be doing something different anyway. So learn to not be afraid of it and, you know, there's this whole thing about how do people look at a list of 10, you know, um, sets of experiences that you need to qualify for the job when you look at the job description, you know, and, and some people look at it and they see that they've done two out of 10 and they're like, I can do that job. And other people look at the nine out of 10 they've done and they're like, oh, I'm not qualified. You know, I, I push people towards the former, which is uh, I believe talent figures it out. Talented people have a way of dropping into an environment and just sensing the environment, understanding what's important, and then figuring it out. And I think the more you do that, the more you can cross these boundaries where people say, well, how'd you get from here to there? It's like, I trusted my skills, and then they dropped me in, and then I figured it out. And then I did a good enough job that they said, we're gonna drop you into a different environment and see if you can figure it out there. So, you know, as you know, you know, good people, continue to get opportunities. And the more they start to realize that, the more they start to realize that those opportunities are something that they can shape. And I think that's really important that it's not just the job. Think of, think of the job description as the start, start of the conversation, not the yes, I take it, no, I won't. Turn it into a conversation. Well, what do you really need? What are you really looking for? What would really move the needle? And I think getting people to think that's kind of almost uh, quasi-entrepreneurial about their career uh, creates a lot of interesting, you know, opportunities and conversations for people. So that's what I try to tell young people, which is don't, don't just go by the book and try to go one step at the ladder at the time. Think about what you want to do. Think about what you bring to the table and create, co-create the next job that you take. I love it. Yeah. Um, this is good stuff. So Tom, as I alluded to earlier, I went on the website, right? So anyone can go and Google uh, UC Irvine and you'll find IT. And out there, you have a lot of content and you can sort of see the breadth and depth of all that you do in your team. 
and it's quite innovative. And so, and maybe you sort of answered it with the, with the last answers you gave in terms of the advice to young people, but it's very progressive. Uh, it's, it's more, you know, I've seen a lot and uh, it's more progressive than most, uh, if not, you know, right there at the top. And so did, how did you accomplish that? How did you learn that? Were you mentored or, um, you know, I don't want to give away, give your answer. So just, I'll leave it with that. You know, how, how did you do that? I mean, it's fascinating what you have. Yeah, I think, you know, so, you know, I've always been one that's been attracted to the new and different. I mean, you know, I think some of us kind of have a gene where, you know, that kind of thing is more interesting than other things. I mean, some people are really good at, I can take something that runs at 90, you know, that runs at 90% and I love to make it run at 98%, right? I mean, and that's a skill set. You know, for me, it's like, you know, what I like is actually there's a little bit of scribble on the paper and let's turn it into a, you know, let's turn it into a painting. Let's turn it into an image. Let's turn it into a vision. Right? So I, I like that. And actually, once it gets to kind of a mature operation, I feel like my skills aren't as valuable in that and need to turn it over to a true operator who really knows how to make it run or, or, or make it scale. And so, so I think, you know, so, so that's kind of way, the way I try to position this role, which is if we're going to create a role, let's make sure that the role, if I'm going to jump into it, takes advantage of my, of my um, you know, strengths. And so a lot of what I get to do is to kind of position the conversation to say, well, what if? You know, what does, and, and this was part of the, the conversation over the last 15 months, because I feel like the last 15 months was like, a, uh, for all the, the negative, it's been a godsend for those of us who are interested in technology-enabled ways of doing things differently in the world. It's, what do we think the future of education looks like, right? And so when students come back in the fall at UCI and they look at a course catalog to sign up for, and instead of seeing 100% of the courses in person, in a classroom, teacher, up in front of the room, they're going to see sections, you know, that are going to be, I can take my organic chemistry class in, you know, in a lecture hall, or I can take it remote instruction and quizzes online. And so uh, that optionality is really important in today's education because college is expensive. And maybe that I'm, I come from a situation where my family could, could really use me at home working 30 hours a week providing into the family income. At the same time, I don't have to sacrifice my educational opportunity because UCI gives me an opportunity to spend maybe my first year at home and only come to campus my second year and then I'll live in a dorm and then I'll be a more traditional college student. So that optionality is, you know, what if? What does the market want, right? Uh, and so that's kind of what I do, you know, in the role. And, uh, and that's, you know, healthcare is the same thing. Healthcare is changing a lot where we're seeing patients. You know, how do we, how do we, how do doctors and patients interact? What's the role of wearables? These are all pieces that I'm driving, helping drive the conversation with. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of it until you mentioned it. And that is not only did we have massive transformation in healthcare, which most of our audience can relate to, but education is probably the next biggest or equally the biggest transformation that has happened as a result of the pandemic. And you've had to guide your organization and your people, your teams, uh, through all of it. So that's that's quite fascinating. What's and you just gave an example, but I don't know if there's one more on either side, the educational side or, or provider side, that you think will stick. It wasn't like a temporary thing that we had to do to make an adjustment to get through the pandemic, but it's something that's going to stick in the future what what do you have any other uh, ideas about that like one or two other things yeah so so i i think um 
Well, I, I, I think I think what's going to permeate, you know, uh, and, and you and I have talked about this offline, right? You know, the healthcare. There's going to be an aspect of personalization in healthcare and choice. You know, and the and the healthcare consumer taking greater control and want and driving choices that I think is is not going to go away. Right. It, it, you know, the pandemic kind of got the ball rolling. I, I think what we're going to see, you know, and, and, you know, we've been talking about, you know, Amazon care because they're coming into California very soon and talking to you, connecting to a doctor within 90 seconds, you know, at a primary care uh, interaction level. And, you know, that sense of immediacy that we get in our society from Netflix and ordering, you know, kind of one swipe with, with, with Amazon, those things are going to get into healthcare, And I don't think there's any way around it. I don't think in the world that we live today, I, I think uh, the, the, you know, the organization that actually takes an oncology patient and says next day appointment, same day, next day appointment, I think they win because nobody who, who has a diagnosis of cancer wants to wait two or three weeks to see the next specialist they need to see. And so I think those who can kind of meet you know, consumer expectations, I think are going to get a leg up. I think if we as healthcare organizations don't do it, we open the door for more uh, disruptors to come in and, um, and create that experience and then drive the back end of the supply chain, if I could use that term, right? Yeah. Because if you look at what Amazon's really good in, they're really good in getting in front of the eyes of the consumer and then really managing the heck out of the back end of the supply chain, driving the lowest possible cost for their consumer. We don't want that in healthcare, right? That's not that's not good overall for healthcare, and it's certainly not good for healthcare delivery organizations that find themselves in that position. Yeah, no, very insightful. So, Tom, at some point, you know, we hope it's a long, long time. I'm sure you see Irvine hope it's, hopes it's uh, never, but at some point, you will retire or move move on. And you've done so many great things there. What 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 is one thing that you hope, like after you retire and you leave? UCI that maybe five years afterwards you you come back or you talk to someone that's there and that's still there that's stuck you know something that you helped uh, lead that's still working yeah yeah so that's uh, so first of all I think my wife will try to do her best to make sure I can never retire uh, I got to give her a plug on this uh, the um, you know I it's really interesting you, you asked that question because uh, when I joined the university in 2013, I was at what was kind of what you would call like the corporate level, which we call office of the president. And someone said to me, I was at a neighborhood lunch and they, they were talking about my role and they're like, you know, you have such a platform to do so many amazing things, you know, being at that level and 220,000 students and, um, you know, all, all the different campuses. And I never really thought about the concept of a le leaving a legacy. You know, it's, you know, sometimes you're just so about achievement, achievement, achievement. And I think as you get older, you start to think about what are you leaving behind? You know, how many people are you touching, hopefully, in a positive way? And so, you know, some of the things that, that you know, that I hope to leave behind here, because, you, know, you know, in that role, which I did for six years, one of the things I left behind that I hope stays in place is the creation of a, an IT leadership academy to really get IT professionals to develop their soft skills, their leadership skills, their influencing skills in a way that, that brings their strategic value to the forefront rather than the background. Um, and coming here, you might, you know, because now, now when I step into a role, I really think about five years from now, 10 years from now, what do I want to be known for, right? What's my legacy when they say, you know, hey, Tom Adriel spent some time here. He did this. Uh, it's about developing what we're calling the collaboratories at UCI. 
It's really putting our data assets to work, putting them to work in a way that every student gets a personalized learning journey towards whatever their educational goals are through utilizing the data that we build around them to give them the scaffolding to have that end of one experience. It's the same thing with our patients, which is our patients, patients shouldn't have to re, you know, reintroduce themselves to us. Patients really want personalized journeys, you know, of getting care, maintaining their health, getting back to health. And so we've got the data to be able to do that now. There's enough digital signals that we're collecting. It's about aggregating them, curating them, and then using these technologies like machine learning and other AI that are coming out and saying, if we can build intelligence, you know, that intelligence cannot just make better decisions, but better decisions more frequently uh, in a way that each patient gets exactly what they need out of the situation. Each student gets exactly what they need out of the situation. And we call that concept the collaboratories at UCI. I hope when I leave here, people talk about, you know, that we put these things in place and put UCI at a level of recognition around it that has made the institution one that others want to come in and, yeah. and, and learn about how we did it. Very cool. I'm going to steal that collaboratories. I love it. Uh, no, that's really good. Very insightful. Uh, I know we're out of time. I want to sort of leave you at the last last uh, minute or so, Tom, uh, on any topic that maybe we didn't get a chance to uh, riff on or maybe something we did touch on, but we didn't go deep enough. But I, I would love to hear any additional insights that you might have for our audience. Yeah, I'll leave with one we didn't, we didn't talk on. Uh, it's one of those kind of pillars that I I'm very engaged on, and I think it's important, and I think it's important also as leaders to lean in on, and that's the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, one of the things when I came to the University of California, being a public university, you know, our mission is really one of, it's educating people, but it's also, it's a vehicle of social mobility, and I, what I learned, again, talking about learning from every environment you drop into, is that uh, I, I saw in a very real way, whether it's with patients or with our students, the in, or even with the, within our employee bases, you know, the inequities that are built into our society. And so I've become very vocal, uh, and especially looking at the the numbers, you know, the, uh, analyzing the data in the technology realm. We have a lot of improvement opportunity and an obligation to do a better job with gender diversity within our environment, within um, ethnic diversity in our environment. And so it's something I'm very passionate about. Uh, speak about it probably every two weeks, get a chance to get up and talk about it. But the importance from a leadership perspective of not just talking about that it's important, but that people see you lean in. Yeah. It's amazing the progress that organizations can make when leaders lean in on this topic. Yeah. And it can be the smallest of things like, you know what, let's not move to interviews, let's post that job description in a few more places to get better diversity in the candidate yeah. pool before we start interviewing. Yeah. It's the right thing to do. It doesn't really cost us very much, but just saying it and asking the organization to do it sends a huge message that you care about this topic. Yeah. And I think I would challenge your listeners and, and all leaders out there Love to care more about this topic and do little things every day that reinforce that we are going to do a better job. Love it. If you enjoy Tom as much as I do, Tom, tell us your, you have a, your own podcast. Can you uh, give us, uh, how would we find you? Yeah. So if you go to, uh, uh, if you go to UCI um, Office of Data and Information Technology, you can find your way to my site. Uh, I started to, to a podcast much like you because I kind of wanted to talk about yeah. things that were cool and new and with people who are driving the world to be the place it's going to be. 
like yourself, um, and you were on my podcast not too long ago. And um, we call ours gradually, gradually, suddenly. And the reason for that is it's the way that technology kinds of, it's kind of here, it's kind of here, and then boom, one day, yeah. all of a sudden, it's just kind of the standard quo. Um, and so I, I just kind of love that uh, concept, which we took from a Hemingway uh, uh, novel and basically said, let's get the people out there who are driving the change because suddenly that change is going to be something that we're all, we're all doing. So let's get out in front of it. That's awesome. Tom, thank you so much for being my guest. I, I'm going to come visit you by the end of this year. I'm convinced I'm going to figure out a way to get out there and, uh, and just uh, talk in person some more and have coffee or, or a beer or something. So thank you for being a guest. So insightful. I'm so enthused. I'm ready to uh, take on the next greatest challenge. So uh, thanks again. And uh, I wish you and UC Irvine nothing but the best. And thanks for having me. Really always a pleasure talking with you and being able to spar ideas. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.